If you appreciate him playing an offertory for us this morning, say amen. Amen. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know there's people that serve the Lord from all over the place and it's such a blessing to get to meet other Christians from other parts that are willing to come and to be a blessing. And that was a blessing to us today. Acts chapter number 16, if you have your Bible, is where we'll take the text for the sermon this morning. And I want to say hello to the Sanina family. We love you all and praise God that you are such a friend to this church and to each and every one of us here as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And would someone see that they get a bulletin? Uh, maybe, Andrew, if you wouldn't mind doing that. Not like I've got Andrew doing anything else, but that's got the calendar for the rest of the church year on there. All right, Acts chapter 16. I took up a lot of time with the announcements this morning, so I need to get with it. Acts chapter 16, and let's begin reading in verse number 16. Here in this chapter, leading up to verse number 16, the Apostle Paul is on his missionary journey. He sees a vision in the night in verse number 9 where there was a man from Macedonia who prayed to him and who, who said to Paul in the vision, please come over here and help us. It's where we get the line in the hymn, we have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light, send the light. So he believes that the Lord is in this calling and he surrenders to go to that area and to give the gospel to them. And from thence, verse 12 says that they went to Philippi, which was the chief city of that part of Macedonia. In verse 13, 14, and 15, they go down by the river and meet, I believe, Jews who are praying to the Lord. And they're witnessing to them and giving them the gospel. And there was a, a lady named Lydia who opened her heart and attended to the things that were spoken of by Paul and opened her house unto them. So they're here on this missionary journey preaching the gospel. In verse 16, the story continues. Continues, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The word there for divination means seeking knowledge of the future. And the word there for soothsaying, it means foretelling, foretelling events, like a fortune teller. And it says that this woman was possessed with a spirit that helped her to do that. And that notice it says her masters were brought much gain by what was going on. Verse 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. Now this woman follows them around over the course of several days, and wherever they're going, whatever it is they're trying to do, she's crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. It's a pretty good message, but as you'll see here in this verse 18, the apostle Apostle Paul is grieved. He's grieved for a variety of reasons or possibilities. This woman is still being troubled by this spirit. She has not been set free. Perhaps she's being a little bit insincere in her approaching them and trying to get them to approve of her and to be able to make more money. Or perhaps it's just that spirit that is within her humbling and noticing that they actually do serve the true and living God. But at any rate, even though the message is good, the woman has not been set free from the spirit. And it's a good message to hear, but it would be a little troubling if everywhere you went for three days, someone was behind you yelling out the same thing over and over again. And Paul, being grieved, verse 18 says, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And, she, and he came out the same 
hour. In the name of Jesus Christ, this woman who was troubled by the Spirit was then delivered from it. And we need to be careful when it comes to these types of things. We have Jesus, we have His power, but there's another place in the book of Acts where someone saw that the apostles and disciples of Jesus were casting out demons and spirits in the name of Jesus, and one went to a man who was possessed with a devil and said, I adjure thee by Paul and by Jesus, come out of him. And the Bible says that the Spirit turned to this man and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the Spirit departed from that person and tormented the one who was trying to tell the Spirit to come out. It's Anyway, it's spiritual warfare, and we need to be careful that we are not in our flesh when we approach spiritual warfare. Verse 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone... They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. The New Testament says in one place, the love of money is the root of all evil. And when as we think about that, how, how it's kind of confusing to try and see exactly what the Bible is saying there. But when you think about money and about lusting after money and that being the root of all evil... It wouldn't count if we just said, well, it's what is money? It's paper bills. Because there's some countries where the, the economy goes underground and in the tank overnight, and those paper pieces of money are worthless. So then the love of money being the root of all evil is not just the currency, but it's the ability to get what you want. It's lusting after what you do not have. And in this instance, in Acts chapter number 16, the woman who the, the men who were the masters of this lady who was involved in this occult sinful activity were upset that she came to Jesus Christ because their pocketbook was going to take a hit. And people are not always happy when someone comes to Jesus Christ to know Him as Savior. People are not always pleased when good things are happening at the church. And we've seen it happen a few times on the missionary journeys of Paul. He would go to a city, he would preach, the Holy Spirit would bless, and people would start getting saved. And the rulers of the city did not like it. Because it was against their tradition. It was against their religion. Or like in this case, they would lose the money that they were making off of sin. And if we want to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and missionaries for Him as Paul and Silas were, we have to be ready for some rejection. We have to be ready for some people who are not happy about it. And we have to be ready to suffer persecution if that's what the will of God would be. Verse 20, we continue. And brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. There's some false accusations that are wrapped up in there. Whatever the laws and the religions were of the Romans, I highly doubt that these people were so pious that that's what they cared about. We know the text said the reason they were upset is that they weren't going to make money off of this poor young lady who was tormented with this spirit. Verse 22 says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. We say, well, it doesn't look good right now. The current climate doesn't look good. And what if we have to be persecuted for Jesus Christ? I don't know why we would be so surprised 
that this may be what happens. If we read the Bible, we know that between now and when Jesus takes the throne, yes, Jesus is going to take the throne and it's all going to work out pretty good, but it gets a little iffy in the middle. There's some stuff in this world that's going to happen as they fall further and further away. And Jesus told His disciples, be prepared for the fact that you will be persecuted sometimes for being the servant of Jesus Christ. Here they took them. They beat them. They falsely accused them. It says in verse 22, many stripes were laid upon them. That would be a public flogging, where in the public square you would be beaten for shame and you would be whipped until your body hurt and was broken and you were bleeding. Then it says they took them and they cast them into prison. Then there's a character who we'll come back to in a little bit, the jailer. The jailer was charged to keep them safely. And verse 24 says, "...who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks." Lord, we were serving you. Lord, we saw people come to believe you when we preached the gospel. We delivered this young lady from the spirit that was troubling her. And what happened to us next? Falsely accused, declared guilty, beaten, and thrown into prison... I wonder if that happened to us, what would our attitude be? Would we be upset? Would we be pointing fingers at God? But notice verse 25, which is a short verse, but has so much packed into it. The Bible says this, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the next verse says, And the prisoners heard them. Brother Jason, I didn't tell you that this morning I had printed out right here in my hand in my notes to reference and the Bible verse to reference that says God gives songs in the night. Did you? Did I? I did not. But they sang this morning, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, which includes the line that God lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. In Job chapter 35 and verse number 10, Elihu is speaking. He was the younger one who was upset that Job was seeking to justify himself rather than God. God showed up in the end of Job and corrected three friends, but he never corrected Elihu for anything that he said. And he made the statement about God, he giveth songs in the night. And as their bad day came to a close, and the clock ticked by at midnight. Rather than complaining or feeling sorry for themselves, they prayed to God and they sang His praises. I don't think that came from their own flesh or from their own will. We see in this chapter that God was doing a work. And it says right there that the other prisoners heard what was happening. And we see the impact that it had on others around them. It was evident to all that God was doing a work. And what I see when we see praises unto God is joy. And a joy that cannot be shaken and taken away because of what is happening to us. We're going to make a few points and then we're going to come back to this story here in a little bit. Number one, God wants Christians to have joy. And I put all of this under the heading and the point and the interpretation of verse number 25, that it was a genuine joy that they had from God that allowed them at midnight to sing those praises out loud. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He said, I want you to know you should always be rejoicing in the Lord your God. And then again, let me say something else. Rejoice. 
In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 10, they were talking about the feast day that was coming. And they were told, don't be sorry, but this day is holy unto the Lord. Uh, eat the fat, drink the sweet. It was going to be one of those regularly scheduled times that the Jews had of rejoicing and celebrating and remembering all that God had done for them. And then this very famous phrase appears once in Scripture, Nehemiah 8 and verse 10, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We've sang that song before. It comes right out of the Bible. And Nehemiah was telling the people a message directly from God that what gives us strength in the Christian life, what allows us to be strong and to undergo trials like Paul and Silas were undergoing in Acts chapter number 16, is that we have the joy of the Lord. God wants you as a Christian to have genuine joy in your heart. And I'm not here this morning to be a TV preacher to tell you that God's whole design and plan for your life is for you to be happy. And if you just do what I tell you to do, you're going to be rich. You're going to be prosperous. God wants to bless you and give you all these things. And if you send in a hundred dollars, I'll send you a prayer cloth and God will bless you because of that. I know that part of the Christian life, we've already had it in the message this morning, is going through the kinds of trials that Paul and Silas went through. But I do believe the Bible teaches that God wants us to have genuine joy. We talked the last couple weeks about the theology of pleasure and how it gives honor and glory to God when we realize He made this world with a lot of colors. He made this world with variety of beautiful music and good food and marriage and all of these wonderful things that we're able to partake in. And when we do these things, we give God glory. When we realize God has allowed me to live my life enjoying the good things that His Word endorses. And last week we preached from Isaiah chapter 38 and Hezekiah after God healed him and answered his prayers, he said, all the days of my life I will sing songs to you on the stringed instruments in the house of the Lord. And then he said, I will celebrate thee. And we talked about living our lives with celebration, just like the Israelites did at regularly scheduled times where it's not a fleshly thing, where we're, we're seeking pleasure for the sake of pleasure. But in our God, we are celebrating Him. We are lifting up His name. We're praising Him for what He has done and we're enjoying the good creation that He has given us. The Bible says it's good for us to be happy, not just spiritually, but physically. Proverbs 17, 22, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. And we preached about that when we talked about a wounded spirit and that how science tells us that when we laugh, when we're joyful, that painkillers are released into our body. We have those positive endorphins and it's literally as good for us as it would be to take medicine when we have joy in our hearts. But a broken spirit, depression, will literally lead to a reduction in the bone mass and to the marrow being dried up. The Word of God is true. Proverbs 18 and 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? I want to say in my family growing up, being a preacher's kid, we always had fun. We always had a good time. And I praise the Lord for that and through my parents that I didn't feel like life was a drudgery or that there was a list of rules so long that were so hard to keep that it was overbearing and that it was oppression. But as being a kid and a teenager and growing up, I remember all the time we would play sports. We would watch sports. We had a pool table. We had a ping pong table. We would joke around. We would laugh. We would fellowship with other people. We would go bowling. We would watch good TV programs. My favorite which still is to this day, which is becoming a problem, which was eating. 
God given us the food that we can enjoy. And sometimes we enjoy it too much. But all of those things and just being together, I just always remember in my life, I've enjoyed and had fun in the good things that God has allowed us to enjoy, that His Word does not prohibit. And we did many things together as a family inside and outside of the ministry. It's a bit of a stereotype that they say, well, you're a PK. That means preacher's kids. And they say, watch out because the preacher's kids will be the ones that rebel the most. And they're going to be the ones that have a bad attitude. And sadly, sometimes that is true. But it does not need to be the case. There was a young man in the church years and years ago, and he knew another young man who was attending another church somewhere else, and they were friends. And he was talking to my dad, and he said, Pastor, he just hates it there. And he can't wait till the day he gets old enough that he can just leave and not be a part of that place anymore. And sadly, we see families get bitter in the ministry. We see the children of ministers get bitter and not have joy in the Christian life. And sometimes that's due to the strife and fighting they see between God's people and even within the church. I don't have any doubt that some pastor's kids have been pushed away from serving God because of the way they saw the people act and behave in the church. I also don't have any doubt that some church members' kids were pushed away from serving God because of what they saw from the pastor and the attitude that was taken. This overly harsh, this legalistic, this this brand of Christianity that would leave out love, grace, and joy can sometimes tragically cause bitterness and push people away from Christ. Let's flip over to Psalm chapter 90. I have a few places this morning that I'll turn to and we're we're trying to move quickly. So if you'd like to just listen, I will read it to you. But Psalm chapter 90, beginning in verse number nine, is a beautiful little section of poetry that talks about our life. Verse nine says, for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. It says we spend our years as a story that is being told. Truth is stranger than fiction. This is an amazing life, the different things that we see. And it says we make it to 70 years, or even if we're strong and we make it to 80, our life is soon cut off. Verse 12 continues, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Applying our heart to wisdom is something that we should seek to do on a continual, daily, ongoing basis. Life is not just about having fun. It's not just about partying. We need to number our days. Remember that they're short. And apply our heart to wisdom in the Word of God. But then verse 14 says this, O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. If God has been merciful to us and God has been good to us, every day we could seek to apply our hearts to wisdom, but also to rejoice and to be glad. Listen, this morning we have reason to rejoice. We are the children of God. We are on the winning side. We know that our names are written in heaven. And I'm not talking this morning just about the power of positive thinking and our will overcoming our problems and what what could you be told? You're just so awesome and you're just so great. You need to realize you're the best that ever did it and just be happy because of how good you are. 
I'm not talking about that type of thing, but I'm talking about knowing that our names are written in heaven and that our God is in control and that gives us a reason to celebrate and rejoice and have a joy that the rest of the world does not possess. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 18 through 20 talks about this being a blessing and about God giving us the ability... I'll go ahead and read it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 18 Behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. It's not the purpose in life to rejoice in what we have and what we've accomplished, but it is a good and a comely thing to eat, drink, rejoice, have fun, and enjoy that which God has given us, realizing it is a gift from His good heart. Verse 19, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in what? The joy of his heart. The best I can tell the beginning of verse number 20 when it says he shall not much remember the days of his life. It's a counterpoint to God giving him joy. So it means we don't sit around looking back and sorrowing over all of what has happened. Why? Because God answers us in the joy of his heart. He gives us good things that we can rejoice in. And we all have different personalities. I am not a morning person. My wife is. I am a nighttime person. She likes to pop up a long time before I do and go drink coffee. And I'm like, leave me alone. I'm not even ready for coffee yet. I'm ready for another hour of sleep or two. And sometimes at 1130 or midnight, I'm just getting going. And that's when I do my best thinking. And I'm listening to music and discovering stuff I've never heard before. And I'm, I'm jotting out sermon ideas and outlines and doing all this. And she's crashed already. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. <laughs> The point is we're all different and we may not all have this same effervescent personality where we pop right up and we're happy and chipper and joyful about every little thing. But some Christians, if you follow them around for a long time, you'd never see them smile. You'd never see them be happy. You'd never see them be joyful. And that's not the way God wants us to live our life. I believe God wants us to live in such a way that people would look at us and eventually they would ask us a reason of the hope that is within us. And we would be ready to give them an answer for why that is that we know Christ as Savior and He is the source of all our joy. Number one, God wants Christians to have joy. Number two, the world does not have joy. Uh, we can look at the dictionary and we'll do that in a moment. And there's a difference in the word happiness and in the word joy. But I believe even regardless of what the dictionary says, that we could look to the text of the Word of God and come up with a definition of biblical joy. Amen. And I do not believe that the world has that. They have pleasure sometimes, yes. They have some fun, but it's not the joy that our Creator gives us. The book of Revelation, when it's giving praise, honor, and glory to God, all of heaven says that all things were created for thy pleasure. God didn't create the world because He needed it, but He created it 
to bring Him pleasure. He created us so that we could fellowship with Him as Adam and Eve did in the cool of the day. God desires that we would come to Him for fellowship. And did you know that it doesn't matter who it is on this earth? We all have been created with a built-in desire to know our Creator with a built-in desire to seek after truth, with a desire to know God. And if we try to share our faith and to witness to someone and to tell them the truths of the Word of God and how they can go to heaven, I don't believe you have to have a college degree to do that. Well, I hope not, because I don't even have one of those. Andrew does. I'll just tell him, talk to Andrew. Uh I don't believe you have to be the best apologist and debater and have answers to every single question. Because when you go to tell someone... Jesus loves you. Jesus died for your sins. If you will receive Him as Savior, He'll give you a home in heaven. You are speaking the truth, and you are speaking what was already built inside their heart to want to know. And we're not going to be able to argue people into the kingdom of heaven. I like to study. I like to have the answers. I think being good at debate is something that is a good thing, that we're able to answer the critics of the Bible. But if we just tell someone what God did for us, if we just tell them the simple gospel message, it's not us that's able to save anyone, it's the Spirit of God that then does the work inside of their hearts. He convicts them, He draws them, He pulls them. And if they will say yes, He will save them. Even of the atheist, the word of God says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Why is he considering in his heart? Why is he trying within himself to say, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God? Because he was created with a desire to know the truth. And nature and his conscience and Jesus Christ himself tells him there is a God and you need to seek that God to know the truth. So yes, the world may have a good time as they w- maybe they want to party and maybe they want to forget their problems for a little while. But what the world offers does not bring joy. My dad preached a verse to us years and years ago that stuck with me ever since. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 22 says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and He addeth no sorrow with it. In other words, when God blesses us, it's all blessing. It doesn't come with strings attached. It doesn't come with sorrow. But when the devil tries to offer something to answer that cry within our hearts to know the truth, it's always going to have sorrow attached to it. The devil's apples will always have worms. Whatever he gives us that looks good, it's going to be rotten on the inside. He's the enemy of God. He's the enemy of God's people. Hebrews chapter number 11, when it's talking about all the great heroes of the faith, it talks about Moses and it says this, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And yes, sin may offer pleasures, but it's only for a season. Just as we we come into winter and then to spring and then to summer and then to fall and it's coming and then it shows up for a little bit and then it flees away. The pleasures of sin may be real, but they will leave after a season. And the verses go on to say that Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. And he said, I would rather suffer with God's people and be persecuted than to go and to partake in that sin and in those pleasures that will soon flee away. David put it this way, he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. He said, I'd rather have that lowest place in the house of God to be the doorkeeper than to dwell in those tents of wickedness in the highest place and in abundance. 
Because whatever it is that the devil may pull at our flesh with and throw in front of us. For some people, it's riches. For some people, it's sensual sin. For some people, it's fame. For some people, whatever it may be, it will not bring us true joy. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man. And if we want to be happy and have joy in this life as a Christian, hopefully we look at it differently than the world does. We don't just want to have the things that we want. We want to be blessed by God. And the man that is blessed by God, what does the psalm say? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, nor standeth in the seat of... I've just totally messed that all up. But the point was it says not three times. You can't walk with the sinners. You can't stand and talk with them. You can't sit with the scornful. And God says if you want to have true joy... You're going to have to have some knots in your life. The thou shalt nots to stay away from what God has commanded us to stay away from. And what did I say before? The TV preacher or even the modern psychologist will just say, well, do what you want and believe in yourself and know that you have all the answers within you. And if it feels good to you, do it. And the problem is not that you feel guilty for your sin. The problem is other people are telling you that what you're doing is sin. And you need to just stop listening to them and let go and you'll be happy. I say like the Scripture does, let God be true and every man a liar. I believe every activity has more joy when you love God. I believe we can have a peace in our heart and a joy that the person who's running from God does not have, whether we're in church or whether we're at the baseball game. The Bible says whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all of it to the glory of God. I just have this little voice in the back of my mind that says, if I ever tried to run from God, I'm not going to get very far. I know too much. I know God wouldn't let me be happy in my sin. And He chastens His children because He loves them. And He convicts the world of sin through the Holy Spirit because He loves them. And sin will rob us of our joy. Number one, God wants Christians to have joy. Number two, the world does not have true, genuine, biblical joy. Number three, God gives us joy in spite of our circumstances. You see, true biblical joy is not just saying, well, if I pray enough or if I give enough money to this preacher, God's going to answer all my prayers and I'll be happy if God gives me what I want. And sometimes that verse is a little bit misused when the Psalms tells us, delight thyself also in the Lord and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That's not us just saying with our lips, Lord, I delight in you. And you know the desire of my heart is a brand new car and a big bank account and to be famous. No, it has to go in the right order. First, we delight ourselves in the Lord. Then He changes our heart so that our desires are what He wants us to desire. And then He gives us what we are desiring because we're desiring what He wanted to give us in the first place. What happened in Acts chapter number 16? They were lied about. They were unfairly thrown in prison. They were beaten and left to rot in jail. The clock ticked away until it came to midnight. These were not the best of circumstances, but verse number 25 tells us at midnight they prayed and sang praises unto God. They sang anyway. They sang in spite of their circumstances. They sang to God not because the day had been perfect, but they sang to God because God was still good and God was still able to give them joy despite the fact that they were being persecuted for Him. The word happiness comes from the word happen. It says that the root word means luck or fortune. What has happened to you? If you say you have a lot of happiness, it means a lot of good things have happened to you. 
But the word joy, especially the biblical definition of joy, has nothing to do with what has happened to us. Biblical joy is that which God gives us within our hearts in an attitude of worship and praise to Him and gratitude for all that He has done. And your happiness, it could be said, could be taken from you. But your joy cannot be taken, for it is within you. The devil can't take your joy. He's going to try to. But if he succeeds in taking your joy, it will be because you surrendered it and gave it to him. Joy has to do with a feeling, with rejoicing, with being joyous within. But then one definition was given, a thing that causes joy, a source of or an object of pleasure and satisfaction, such as you would say their child is their pride and their joy. As a Christian, our joy comes from the person of God, from knowing Him as our Savior and understanding that He can give us joy in spite of our circumstances. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. He lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. That's what Job 35.10 says. And that's what they had in Acts chapter number 16. It was midnight, but also we could metaphorically say... It was the midnight hour of their life. It was the darkest. But they sang praises unto God. And God can give us joy at midnight in our life, no matter what you're going through this morning. I'm not saying that pain isn't real. We talked about last week how God sees our tears. David said it was like God put them in a bottle. God knew. God hears the cries of the oppressed. But no man can take my joy from me. Because no man can take my name out of the book of life in heaven. One time a, a couple who was in the ministry spent some time with my parents. And the pastor's wife was talking to my mom. And she was talking about all of the ways that people had mistreated them. And how it wasn't fair and how hard it was. And she said, yeah, all that dealing with people, it's just a bunch of... And then she used a term that wasn't very nice to talk about dealing with people. Look, I know that serving God, burnout is always a danger. I know that if sin creeps into our heart, it will steal our joy. I know that the battles are real. But it doesn't matter what we've been through. We should be able to be happy and have joy knowing that God has called us and placed us where we are. That people have been saved. And that battles will always be a part of it. What, did, what was Timothy called to do? Endure hardness as a good soldier. Jesus Christ endured hardness upon the cross for us. The Apostle Paul said at one point to the people he was writing to, he said, I'm not seeking yours, but I seek you. In other words, not what you have, but you. I'm trying to minister to you. And he said... I shall continue to spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. He said, even though my love is being rejected, I'm going to keep giving it because it's given in the name of Jesus. And why are we serving God? Is it for people? Is it because we love people so much? I hope we love people, but I hope primarily the reason that we are serving God is because we love God. And God loves people, and God calls us to reach out to them. And sometimes we give all that we have to someone, we open up our arms wide, and they hurt us. And our tendency is to withdraw and pull back where we can't be hurt, and to make ourselves less vulnerable. 
But we have to remember what our Savior did for us. He was crucified and even while He was on the cross, He prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is our example in all we do. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2 says that as we live this Christian life, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. I'm glad that Jesus Christ didn't stop offering love to human beings because other human beings had hurt Him and rejected Him, or else I would have never made it to Him. So if people hurt us, if people persecute us, Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for them that despitefully use you, be good to them that hate you, and try to show them the love of Jesus Christ, and never get to the place where you stop reaching out to people and where you stop loving them like Christ has called us to love them. Let us not become cynical in our attitude towards people or in our service to God, but let us try to be like a little child and have joy in spite of trouble and realize that our names are written in heaven and God has called us to step into this battle of spiritual warfare. And if we will persevere and love Him and love people and keep giving the gospel, yes, most people will reject it, but along will come one that says, yes, I want Jesus. Amen. And let us not allow people to take our joy. Habakkuk chapter 3, I'm going to read you two verses from there, one from Psalm 43, and we're going to be done here. I've got a glare on my clock and I can't see it. It says 1159. We're out of time here. Habakkuk chapter 3 in verse number 17. The end of the book of Habakkuk is the end where God told the prophet, judgment is going to come. He prayed for God to remove it, but God said, no, judgment is going to come anyway. And he shifted his prayer to, in wrath, remember mercy. And this is what he says at the end of the book. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. Notice that although. It means even though the judgment is coming. Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. The field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. What's he saying? Although in spite of the fact that all of these bad things are going to happen. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. David said in Psalm 43 verse 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. I don't know where you're at this morning or what you're going through, but all of us at some point in our life may come to the place where we need to underline that little word that David put in there, Yet, I shall yet praise Him. In spite of the fact that this sorrow is not going away, I am still going to have joy in God. I'm still going to rejoice in Him. I'm still going to praise Him. Why? I will joy in the God of my salvation. If this morning everything that we could think of that makes us a blessed people was taken away, if all of our money, if all of our family, if all of our health, if our job, if all of our friends, our freedom, if all of it was stripped away, our name is still written in the book of life and we should find a reason to rejoice and to joy in the God of my salvation. I don't know if I had anything else in here. Oh, let's look at Acts chapter 16. If you'll allow me just a couple extra moments this morning to see the results of their joy, the final product. But Jesus told His disciples, don't rejoice because you can do miracles or devils are, are subject to your name, but rather rejoice 
Because your name is written in heaven. And if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you have eternal joy. You have a reason to rejoice no matter what else is happening to you. The end of verse 25 says, The prisoners heard them. When we have joy, others around us will see it will make a difference. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loose. There was an earthquake, and whether through the equipment being broken or a miracle, all the chains came off all the prisoners in the prison. Verse 27 says, And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. This was, what, a Roman soldier. And in Acts chapter 12, verse number 19, the other story of the miracle where a disciple got put out of prison, it was Peter. And it says that when Peter was miraculously set free, it says in verse number 19 of Acts 12 that Herod came inspected the keepers of the prison and ordered them to be put to death. So that's what's going to happen to this soldier. They're your responsibility. If they get away, you're going to suffer the death penalty. That was their motivator to make sure that they were on their toes and did their job. So rather than have that happen to himself... He took out his sword and prepared to, prepared to commit suicide. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. I wish that every person who was contemplating taking their own life and throwing it away, I wish I could tell them, do, themselves, do thyself no harm. That's not what God wants for you. God loves you. God cares about you. God will help you. And even if I don't know you, I love you. I care about you and I'll try to help you. God does not desire us for us ever to do such a thing. But notice what he said in the end of verse number 28. We are all here. Everyone had their bands broken, but nobody left. These prisoners had been watching and observing these men pray and sing praises to God at midnight. They were there in awe of the fact that God had just done a miracle. And instead of running away, they stayed around to see what would happen next. Verse 29, the, the keeper of the prison, he called for a light. He sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? A famous salvation text in the New Testament. He cries out and says, what do I have to do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him all the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. We see them here on the missionary journey in this chapter. At one point, they're down by the river where people are praying. And what do they do? They talk to them about Jesus and they witness. At another place, they're in the jail. And what do they do? They proclaim to the jailer and to all the prisoners who are listening, believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Then we find them leaving the jail and going to the jailer's house and proclaiming to them the gospel. There's not just one way to do evangelism, but as a lifestyle, we should pray for God to help us where we go and the people we know and we meet. Let's not be too ashamed to hand them a gospel track and say, God loves you. When people have questions, let's be prepared to talk to them about Jesus and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for your sins. If you believe on Him, you can be saved. Verse number 31 
The gospel's so simple. How did they answer his question? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And people have all kinds of arguments and debates about the best way to describe salvation and what exactly it is we have to do. And the Bible is full of information, but never forget that the gospel is simple. Jesus said, except you become as a little child, you're not going to be able to get saved. At one point, it's described as receiving him. At another place, it's described as believing in him, having faith calling upon the name of the Lord, asking Him to be saved, repenting, however you want to describe it. The Bible uses a variety of terms. It's very simply understanding that I'm a sinner. I'm lost without Jesus Christ, and I have to repent of my unbelief, of trying to earn my way to heaven or whatever it is, and turn to Jesus Christ. And in one simple act of repentance and faith, we can believe on Jesus Christ and He will save our souls. Thou shalt be saved. And not only that, verse 34, when He had brought them into His house, He set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all His house. Why was His whole house saved? Because they all believed. And they, their joy was observed by others, and it made an eternal difference. And if we will live our lives with joy and rejoicing, no matter what is happening to us, it will make an eternal difference. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we've gone over by just a couple minutes today. I pray that, Lord, the Word of God would be applied to our hearts. I pray that as we have a time of music and prayer, people can come pray at the altar or in your seat. I pray that we would lift up our praises to you. And I pray that all of us would commit this morning to living a joyful life that in spite of our circumstances, no matter what is going on, that we would claim the joy of the Lord is my strength and I will not let anyone take my joy. If anyone's here today that doesn't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior, I beg of you to believe in Him today and you will be saved. I'd love to talk with you about that after the service. And many people here would. If there's anyone who's not saved, today is the day to receive Christ as Savior. Let's have a moment of prayer.